only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, y'all? Welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you're listening on the Believe Network. We have successfully made it halfway through February. If you celebrated Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. Congrats to you and yours. And we are two and a half weeks away from the American Masters 1000 swing. That means tennis is starting to ramp up once again. Like I mentioned last week in that episode, there's a little bit of a lull that happens after the Aussie Open. A lot of players not necessarily take a lot of time off, but they got to travel from Australia, and traveling from Australia is tough because of the time difference. Get to get a lot of players got to go back to Europe. There's some tournaments here in America. The time difference is tough. Whether they take a week or two weeks off is up to them. But right now, we are in the midst of tennis kind of ramping back up as we get closer to the Indian Wells tournament and Miami, both Masters 1000 tournaments back to back in March in America, and I will talk about those nonstop for like the next month and some change. So I'm not really going to touch on them today, but what I am saying is the ATP 250s are starting to ramp up a little bit more, starting to get better players in them. There's ATP 500s that are getting real interesting, and a lot of the big-name players are starting to once again play in these tournaments and get back into the swing of things as we reach March, because after March, then you got Roland Garros, that happens there soon after, and then you got Wimbledon, and then it's the American swing again throughout the summer hard courts that gets you to the U.S. Open at the end of August. So before you know it, I feel like we're going to be back in Grand Slam tennis, but for right now in February, it's a lot of tournaments that aren't necessarily appealing to the eye, but yet they have a lot of really, really good players in them. I'm going straight to Rotterdam, an ATP 250 that happens in Netherlands. Uh, in the Netherlands, and good names in this tournament. When you look at who the top seed is in this tournament, it's none other, uh, none other than Yannick Sinner. You wouldn't expect anything less than that because of the terror he's on right now. Andre Rublev, the two seed. Other really good ter- other really good players in this tournament. Holger Runa is the three seed. And then you look at Hubie Hercoc is the four seed. Davidovic Falkino is in this. Borna Chorich, Alexander Bublek, who has had a really good run here as of late. And then Denis Shapovalov and Gael Monfils, also wild cards and qualifiers that get into this tournament. It's crazy to think Shapo has to qualify for these tournaments uh, if you look at where he was not too long ago. Will he get back on track is a very interesting thing to keep an eye on moving forward. Sinner, not necessarily the easiest route to the final. He has to beat Van de Zanskulpt, and then he's got to beat Gael Monfils, and then he goes on to beat Raonic and Griekspor until he makes it to the final where he faces Alex de Manure. Alex de Manure, very pleasantly surprised by his run here. He's the five seed. He beats a six seed. Grigor Dimitrov, and Dimitrov's actually played really well lately. It's been refreshing to see Grigor play at such a high level once again. Grigor, the sixth seed, loses, though, to Alex de Manure in the semifinals. But when you look at what 
Yannick Sinner does. He cruises through the first round. Monfils takes him to three sets, but really that's the only challenge that he gets on his way to the final here. He wins in the final 7-5-6-4 to remain red hot this season. He has been so hard to beat. Uh, I don't think there's anybody on earth playing as well as he is right now. The Italian captured his second tour-level title of the season. Obviously, his first title of the season was uh, the Australian Open. But with that win, um, with his first major crown and all that that he's had this year at the Aussie Open and now at Rotterdam, he will rise to career-high number three in the Pepperstone ATP rankings on Monday, which is when this podcast is coming out. No Italian man has ever been as high. It's hard to believe no Italian man has never been to three in the world. Um, when you look at the greats that have been there, and then as of recent, when you look at you know guys like Matteo Berrettini, who made a really big run at a few tournaments, I'm shocked he never got that high. But I'm not sure right now on tour there's someone who is as complete of a player as Yannick Sinner. He can literally do everything. And sometimes when people win grand slams, you think, Oh, will they fall off a little bit here, right? Are, are they happy with this? Are they happy with, you know, their Grand Slam title? How do they adjust to, you know, some new endorsements, a lot new, um, some new pressure, a lot of new attention? Yannick Sinner, this was his interview with Vanity Fair, uh, Italy, it looks like. Let me just confirm that. Yeah, Vanity Fair, Italy. And he says, uh, they, they asked, they said, what did you think about when you went to bed the night after the Aussie Open? Finally, he said, nothing. The feeling was nice, of course, but I didn't think too much. At that moment, I wouldn't have been able to really realize what had happened anyway. I watched a few movies, fell asleep. And they said, did you kiss kiss the trophy goodnight? He said, no, I left it with my manager. And then they said, when did you fully realize you won? This is what makes Yannick Center different right now. On the flight back, he says, I had 20 hours I immediately thought about how I could improve further. I asked myself why I ended up down two sets to zero. Why didn't I react sooner? That's what makes him great. And I think that's what's going to continue make Yannick Sinner great. If you look at who he has to chase right now, him and Carlos Alcaraz are the two best up-and-comers right now. And Alcaraz and Medvedev and... There's really nobody else there. I mean, I mean, team won a won a Grand Slam, but no one else there has really won a Grand Slam. Sverev hasn't won a Grand Slam. Tsitsipas hasn't won a Grand Slam. Rublev hasn't won a Grand Slam. Hachinov, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, um, you know, Hubie Hercoc. Those aren't the guys he's battling. And I believe he sees himself at, on the tier of Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. He is at that level. And like I said, he is the most complete player on earth right now. And the fact that he can win the first Grand Slam of the year, not even blink, and come back and win an ATP 500 the next, you know, two weeks later, says a lot about his character at such a young age. 22, at such a young age, he can do that. And I am ecstatic to watch Yannick Sinner throughout this year. Will he win another one? I'm not sure. But if he does, I'm putting my money on the uh, on the U.S. Open. I think he's elite on hardcore. He is elite on hardcore. And if he can do it again, he's going to do it in America, you also have to remember that this is an Olympic year. So what's going to happen there? I forgot to mention that early on in this episode, but it is definitely an Olympic year. So what's going to happen there with all these guys and how much they maybe not necessarily taper themselves, but maybe if they let off the foot pedal a little bit on some of these other tournaments as they move forward in the calendar year. Let's move forward in this episode 
to the Delray Beach Open that is in Delray, Florida. Not a lot of huge names in this. It's just an ATP 250, but it gets a good American turnout because, one, it is in America. Two, it's right before the American swing. So there are some decent names that do end up playing this. Marcus Giron, the American, is in this tournament. Uh, Daniel Evans comes over from the U.K., uh, and then you got Alex Mickelson, who's kind of coming on as a youngster American. Tommy Paul's in this tournament. Francis Tiafo's the two seed. So the top three seeds, all American. And we are going to stick with the all American theme on this. When you get to the semifinals of this tournament, it's all Americans again. Taylor Fritz plays Marcus Giron, and then Tommy Paul plays Francis Tiafo. And it's Fritz and Paul that are in the final here, and Fritz comes out on top 6 2, 6 3. And he was able to defend his title at the Delray Beach Open. What an interesting stat line from the ATPTour.com is uh, the champion in Taylor Fritz has now won six consecutive ATP Tour finals dating back to the start of the 2022 season. The first time he has successfully defended a title and he did it without losing a set. Um, Taylor Fritz, this is what you'd expect from Taylor Fritz. He is the He's the top American for a reason and you expect him to do these things on a weekly basis and for him to do it now, great. Do I want to see him do it in the Masters 1000s? Of course, because he's the top American, and America's been waiting for a tennis player to really take over ever since, who, Andy Roddick, maybe? And Andy Roddick got that one slam at the U.S. Open, and before that, then it was it was mayhem in the American tennis scene. Johnny Mack was in there. You got Pete Sampras was in there. You got Andre Agassi was in there. You had all these guys, that Americans, that were in there. And it seems like there's a lot of Americans right now in the top 15, top 20. But who's going to really take charge and you know, be the one to win a Grand Slam? Well, it's going to be extremely difficult when you look at who I just talked about earlier that's here. Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. And you got guys like Daniil Medvedev. These guys eat, sleep, and breathe tennis. And they're elite because of that. The Americans are going to have to do the same if we're going to if the Americans want to be on top anytime soon. That's the Delray Beach Open. Taylor Fritz gets another title. Good to see from Fritz. It's got to be a, even though it's a 250, it's got to be a confidence boost as we move into these bigger tournaments moving forward, and especially beating you know the other top Americans on tour to get to that point. Let's talk a little bit about the Argentina Open. This is an ATP 250 tournament, and the title goes to a guy by the name of Facundo Diaz Acosta, and he doesn't lose a set to win this thing. Their top seed in this tournament was Carlos Alcaraz, Cam Nori was there, Nicholas Jari was there, Sarandolo, Sebastian Baez, Echeverry. There were dudes in this tournament. Carlos Alcaraz goes out in the semifinal round, I believe, yeah, to Nicholas Jari, and this Diaz Acosta had to beat, you know, Sarandolo to even get to, get to the semifinals because he had to beat him in the quarters. This is very impressive. Sorry, he had to beat him in this round of 16 then to get to the quarters, this is very impressive by, I'm going to call him FDA. I don't know if anybody calls him FDA, but I'm going to call him FDA because his name's kind of hard to say for me. But FDA, this is very impressive stuff for him. This was a loaded tournament. If you would have told him coming into the tournament you're going to win this thing, uh, I think he would be even a little bit surprised because of guys like Carlos Alcaraz playing here. But this tournament was stacked, and the fact that a wild card gets through and wins this thing, very, very impressive. Let's get to some news before we get out of here on this glorious Monday. Uh, some shocking news out of the tennis world, tennis.com. Uh, there are no one-handed backhands in the top 10 for the first time in the ATP rankings history. There was always at least one in the top 10 every single week, every single week since the ATP rankings began in 1973. 
but not anymore. Uh, Stefano Sitsipas was the only man left in the top 10 with a one-hander back in last week and dipping to from number 10 to 11 because Taylor Fritz won his quarterfinal match in Delray Beach. Uh, it was still possible that Grigor Dimitrov was going to save the streak at number 13th ranked, and uh, but he lost. He needed to at least reach the final in Rotterdam, and he did not because he lost to Damon Neuer. Obviously, this record has to do a lot with Roger Federer. But there have been some guys since Federer, like Sitsipas, like Grigor Dimitrov. Some of those guys, Stan Wawrinka was obviously in there, and he was really, really good. And you look before Roger Federer, a lot of the olden day guys had one-handed backhands. You look at Johnny Mack, he had a one-handed backhand. One-handed backhands were the thing for a while. Not so much anymore, but it is a little shocking when I saw this. I was like, is that true? That's kind of wild, isn't it? So... Yeah, big news out of the tennis world. No one-handed backhands in the top 10 anymore with Sitsipas fully in the top 10. It's all two-handed backhands from here on out. So are those taking over the world? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, you look at the top 10 right now. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev, Rublev, Zverev, Runa. I'm surprised Runa's still in the top 10. Hercoc, Damanur, and Fritz, all two-handed backhands. So is one-handed backhand thing of the past? Like I said, I don't think so. I think there's still going to be some players that play with them. I think it's still a good shot. Is it the best option? I'm not really a genius on that. I think it's personal preference and whatever you want. So, uh, But inter- nevertheless, interesting stat, and that's a good, interesting way to end this podcast. Thanks for listening. Like I said, there's some really good things around the corner for these tournaments. Uh, if you look at tournaments that are going on as we speak or in the next coming weeks, you got ones like uh, Doha, that's a good ATP 250. Rio is a good ATP 500. Then you got Los Cabos in Mexico, and then you got a couple 500s in Dubai and Acapulco before you get to Indian Wells and Miami. So those are right around the corner, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about them because I think there's going to be really, really good stuff coming out of those tournaments. I think there's a Netflix match between Alcaraz and Nadal supposed to be happening here in the next couple months or something that's happening in Vegas, I believe. I'll look into it a little bit more. Interested to see how that goes, considering Rafa had to back out of the Aussie Open because he was hurt. So is he going to play in it? Is he not going to play in it? What's he going to look like there? So many eyes on that, especially now that Rafa is hurt and he seems to be nearing the end. Oh, one last thing. Um, Roger Federer, I didn't have this saved, and I didn't actually have this in my notes for today's episode, but I am going to go find this because I think this is important. Uh, Roger Federer... And Amazon. Amazon has acquired the rights to a documentary on Roger Federer per some business. What is that? Business.com. Bloomberg. Okay. Per Bloomberg. Uh, focused on the 12 days surrounding his retirement and his biggest rivalries. It's set to premiere on Prime Video in July around Wimbledon. This is somebody who hasn't let a lot of people into his life in Roger Federer. And for us to get, for fans and people to get this kind of access in, it's kind of like when you look at like Jordan in The Last Dance. Like there, back then, there wasn't the type of access there is now with mic'd up and all that stuff for modern day athletes. So for for fans to get this kind of access into Roger Federer, I think it's going to be nothing but great, and I look forward to it. And we're going to talk about it a ton when he gets to that point. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you later. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. 
Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit.